Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello. And Barrett Scher, the writer of Music Video Sins. Hi. And we are all in a closet. Yeah. We are totally in a closet together doing this podcast. It's a big closet. Yeah, it's a big closet, but it's still a closet. So insert your own closet jokes here if you want to, that we're all in the closet right now. It's going to smell like a locker room in about an hour and a half right here. It totally is. It totally is. I can't wait to to smell that smell. Um, Anyway, we are going to continue with our our, uh, best of the years since we've been born. we're doing 1977 today. That's the year I was born. So we're yeah. finally gotten to that point after two long years on uh, Jeremy's watch there. <laughs> I would never want to belong to any club that would have someone like me for a member. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Uh, 1977. Um, interesting year. Annie Hall beat Star Wars for Best Picture, which is... One of those things, like how'd that happen? Isn't that isn't that weird that that happened? But then when you grow older, you realize Annie Hall's a really good movie. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, 1977, not a banner year. No, it's uh, doesn't have many like it's definitely not like what 1976 was, where you had like a whole bunch of like culturally important and relevant movies. Um, you have a few good ones here and there, and, mm-hmm. and some uh, even have uh, are representative of, you know, like uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. It's like a, one of the better Bond movies that yeah. you watch or whatever. But uh, Jeremy, <clears throat> all right. So Star Wars, obviously, I think is arguably the biggest cultural impact movie from '77, yeah. and so if that has a shot to win here today, it's going to be on cultural impact, I believe, and not overall quality because Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out this year. Yes, it did. And I adore that movie. Mm -hmm. And it's really good. Not just Jeremy likes it, it's solid. And I think I might have a hard time awarding Star Wars a slot over Close Encounters. I don't know how you guys feel, but that's how much I like that movie. I uh, am probably the exact same way. Uh, Another Spielberg movie, and this this one proved that Jaws wasn't a fluke. You know, he... This one, he can't, this one, it's such an, it's a science fiction movie that actually thinks about stuff and, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and it's, it's, it takes its time, but it's always entertaining. It doesn't meander. Like a lot of times you're like, you know, make a sci-fi movie that thinks about stuff and ponders or whatever. You're like, uh, I don't know if I like this very much, but. Close Encounters is just always entertaining. It's mainly because Richard Dreyfuss is so good in it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he sort of guides us through there and everything. Uh, I think I like Close Encounters better than Star Wars as well. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking just quality, um, yeah, I, I can't argue that Close Encounters has had the same cultural impact that Star Wars has, and no one could. Um, but just in terms of film quality, if I'm looking at those two blu-rays on the shelf i'm putting in close encounters where are you on this barrett well it's like what chris was saying uh for jaws actually a couple years earlier it's a movie that takes its time this close encounters and it takes its time like that's a Mm -hmm. pretty long movie but it's in very distinct acts you know you've got the the whole build-up and you get the the sightings and then you get the family drama that comes with it and these people just completely leaving their lives and making this crazy trek based upon like an encounter and 
you know, the uh, this thing that keeps popping into their heads. But so I have two entries for this to, to not make it just a, a complete open and shut case. Annie Hall has a really good shot at getting my vote for best of 77 because people it's easy to forget with all the glut of rom-coms that this was not only one of the original rom-coms in the modern era, but also turned it on its head in many ways, mm-hmm. most of which it, it ends not happily necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it kind of does end happily, but not in the way that has a nice tight resolution and that kind of thing. Also, Annie Hall is one of those miracle movies that got made because uh, Woody Allen had a murder mystery in Annie Hall at one point that he had to completely <laughs> cut out. There, I think there's still trace elements of the murder mystery in the movie, <laughs> I think uh, Walken may have something to do with that. Yeah, but, uh, makes sense. <laughs> but, uh, but like, yeah, Christopher Walken, by the way, has one of the best cameos ever. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like, if you think about it, it used to have a murder mystery. He ended up making Manhattan Murder Mystery, mm-hmm. basically that movie. But, um, but you think about all the stuff he had to cut out to whittle it to the Annie Hall that we enjoy mm-hmm. and everything. It's almost a mir- It's like one of those miracle movies. Like, if he could, he could have kept that in there, and mm-hmm. we'd have. Oh, that's a pretty good movie. I wish yeah. they cut out the murder mystery part. Yeah. You know, um, another movie that uh, has, that came out in this year that is amazing and it, and it just got a, it, had, it just came out the wrong time and everything is William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is really good, but it had a lot of problems as far as production was concerned. Uh, Freakin, as our, as our friend Jonathan was telling us, you know, Freakin made this movie that's called Sorcerer, which was yeah. his follow-up to The Exorcist. So everybody thought this was about some, you know, magician of some sort coming around doing it. It's like a horror movie or whatever. But no, it's an adventure story. <laughs> and, uh, and it's got Roy Scheider in it. And it's yeah. just, uh, uh, I recently saw this for the first time. And that movie is just fantastic. Yeah. Like, it should have gotten more, uh, it, it should have gotten more like love over the years, and I think it finally is. Like people are finally looking at it as as what it is, um, and it's and it's it's definitely one of those. It came out in the summer of 1977. It had to compete with Star Wars. It actually at the time Star Wars was starting like about six seven weeks, and I know it was four weeks into Star Wars run. Sorcerer started coming in, and like movie theater owners said, "We want Star Wars back," you know, uh-huh. because everybody was still really excited about Star Wars. Another interesting thing happened in 1977. Star Wars came out on May 25th. Two days later, Smokey and the Bandit came out. Wow. Also a huge, huge movie that came out in 1977. Also recently saw this. As fact, watched it this morning. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, uh, is, is, you know, the best movie about bootlegging I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but amazingly, in 1977, those two movies coexisted yeah. uh, and made tons of money. I mean, Smoking the Bandit made like $126 million in 1977, which is insane. That is insane. But uh, then you have, what else? You have The Spy Who Loved Me, which is the best Roger Moore Bond that there is, oh, definitely. Yeah. He, Roger Moore has made, made a lot of terrible Bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one is actually one of the best bonds, like out of all the bonds, it's one of the best ones. Um, so that was a, that was a good one from 1977. Yeah. Anything else we got? Saturday Night Fever? I've never seen it. Oh, Saturday Night Fever is, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Fever is not what you think it is. If, if you haven't seen it, 
Go watch it right now. It's it's proto Travolta. It's amazing how caustic this movie is. It's not just about dancing and just, you know, frivolity and stuff like that. It's literally kind of a gritty look of this kid, like, growing up on the streets and that kind of thing. Completely poor and, like, the only thing really that they have is 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 dancing and everything. And the dancing actually has kind of a relatively small role in the movie. Mm-hmm. But because, of course, the Bee Gees soundtrack just blew the hell up. And, of course, that's the most enduring images of... Travolta pointing at the sky and then down and thrusting his pelvis multiple times. But it's a really, really good movie, actually. And that's do you, one thing... Do you agree? Do you, do you like it? I Well, I saw it in college. I wasn't I wasn't in the right place to see it the way you saw it. Um, I, I probably saw it more for fun. Yeah. I don't remember it very well. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it up for Best Picture of 77, but culturally, I think it's had oh, an yeah. impact that it deserves a mention. And isn't... This is the reason why we think of disco as that. Yes. It it wasn't that in yeah. real life. But that is what we thought it was like, you know, people who were born in our our range who mm-hmm. weren't around really you know old enough to understand disco and everything. Uh that movie's responsible for that that image of mm-hmm. disco, even though it wasn't really that. Right. Right. Um I also want to mention a personal movie that I watched about a hundred times when I was young, um, and it's uh, from 1977. It's called Shoe hmm. with uh, a young um, Jodie Foster. Um, she's like a teen or maybe even younger than that, and she goes to stay at this big estate, and there's a murder mystery with the graveyard and the whatnot, and some bad guys trying to steal the treasure or something Hmm. it's funny that i saw it a hundred times when i was a kid and i don't remember it very well but this is just it's one of those movies that somehow got taped off television and i took to it so early because there's clues and she has to go hunting to find all the stuff i just watched it over and over and over and over again so because i loved it so much i want to bring it up in this discussion even though it's not the best movie well yeah and i never saw it so i can't add anything a year after taxi driver it's one of the most obscure movies i think when she would probably been about 14 or so when she did that because taxi driver she was very young yeah um did you say you had a dark horse the Saturday Night Fever. Oh, Saturday Night Fever with the Dark Horse. Um, There's not... It's slim pickings in uh, 77. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were some other movies. I, I haven't ever seen the original Hills Have Eyes, but I've heard mm. that's got its, you know, its merits and everything. Um, that also came out. But uh, really, as far as, like, just outstanding, if we're going to... If we're bringing up movies that are going to actually have a chance to win, there's only, like, three or four. Right. And really, like, almost just two. But yeah. uh, anyway... Uh, I guess I'll go first this time right. since I don't think I've ever gone first on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annie Hall is going to be my choice. Uh, the, I've probably seen Annie Hall, Star Wars, and Close Encounters the same amount of times. I mean, there's a lot. I've seen them a lot. Uh, I, I, I just, the, the dialogue in Annie Hall, the way they, the way they did that romantic comedy, is is I mean that's what everybody copied afterwards. They made New York a character. They did, you know. That I love the scene where you know they're talking and it's really sh- what they're really thinking in yeah, subtitles. Yeah. Uh, Diane Keaton is amazing in that movie. Um, the, yeah, that little Christopher Walken thing. Uh, Woody Allen's view of L.A. towards oh, the I end love it. is one of the best. <laughs> is a satirical masterpiece. Um, and, uh, and so I can't ever go, I can't go against Annie Hall on that. Although I think Close Encounters 
is, you know, that's another one where I'd say 1-1-A or whatever. I mean, give me one or the other to be on a uh, deserted island with. I'm going to be happy. All right. Well, Barry, you want the deciding vote or the second vote? I'll do the deciding vote. All right. I'm going Close Encounters of the Third Kind, surprising mm-hmm. no one. Yep. Um, and, you know, everyone's going to just take that to mean I hate Star Wars, which is not true. But, um, you know, I, as soon as we started throwing out these movies before we started recording, because I forgot to research, and I said, oh, well, what came out in 77? And they threw out Star Wars and Close Encounters, and I immediately went, oh, I'm going to choose something over Star Wars, but I'm doing it. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What happens if we have a three-way tie? Well, then we've never been there before. I guess we'll have to talk ourselves out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I immediately thought Star Wars, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Star Wars, we may get some flack about this, because Star Wars is a very, very good movie. And as it compares with the prequels, of course, it shows you how excellent it was. But as I think all of us have talked, it's not even the best movie in that trilogy. Right. Um it's probably the third best one. I'm sure, maybe the second or third. I think it's second. Um, but based on cultural relevance, Star Wars is is definitely, obviously, the the clear winner in terms of impact. And I love Close Encounters maybe more than any other Spielberg film. But my deciding vote is going to Annie Hall. Wow. Yeah. Just like the Academy, we have decided that um, it, it's it's just. It has everything. It has the quality. It has the template, not only of Woody Allen films, but of romantic comedies going forward. And it had impact on fashion, on music. Everybody was in that movie. And it's just amazing. So Well, we didn't make the populist choice this time. No, nope. we didn't. But heck, none of us voted well, for the populist choice. <laughs> I honestly thought that if you said Star Wars, we were going to have to do our second place. And then the second place would decide it. Because I was going to say Close Encounters there. And then... You know, and then, you know, second place would have been probably the somehow, some way would have vaulted the, uh, we might have had Close Encounters come out and pull yeah. that one out. Um, but, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this choice, obviously. I, th- I think we all agree that Star Wars is our third choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It actually impacted Woody Allen, uh, so much that he made the movie Interiors the next year mm-hmm. where he, uh, purposefully did not put one joke in the movie. (laughs) He made a straight up drama. And if you watch interiors, it's, it's, I think it's the following year. Wow. Uh, it's just, it's one of those, you're like, I can't, I don't, I don't think I can watch the rest of this. (laughs) It's just so dour. That was an intentional thing. Yeah. He intentionally didn't put any jokes in because he wanted to do something different because he'd done nothing but comedies to that point. Um, but then, like, right after that, he did Manhattan, which is another, you know, we'll get to that uh, at some point. But Manhattan is a great movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's our 1977. We picked Annie Hall, just like the Academy did. And we picked Rocky last week, which is what the Academy did. Uh, so now we're turning into boring assholes, aren't we? <laughs> this is where the applause is. Yeah, exactly. Is on, this this is where the applause is. Yeah, yeah, there's people who uh, tune into the podcast specifically to make fun of us. <laughs> Um, anyway, today we're going to be talking about time travel. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Great Scott! Goddamn time traveling robots covering up their goddamn tracks. Knew it. Guys, if you, uh, are, you find yourselves confused by the Doc Brown chalkboard thing in Back to the Future 2, then this is probably not the podcast for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Better stop it right now. Because uh, we're going to get into some complexities of time travel and everything like that. How movies deal with time travel and some of the paradoxes they seem to create that they just ignore. Um, I'm going to start with Terminator because that's like the easiest one. Uh, I, I do want to kind of give you some background on this. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in The Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a simple fictional story, but yeah, I believe that if you send people back in time and they do something as simple as step on a butterfly, that creates chaos mm-hmm. or whatever. Now it's wrongfully been attributed to the butterfly effect. Ray Bradbury didn't come up with that. It's just, it's just part of the butterfly effect. Um, so I believe that, I believe that if you go back in time and you change, the slightest thing, it, it blows everything up. Um, in the first Terminator, uh, they actually do a pretty good closed loop there, mm. um, which is that Novikov self-consistency principle or whatever, basically saying uh, you can't change anything that's happened in the past. If you were to happen to go back in the past, you wouldn't be able to, you know, kill Hitler or, or uh, save the people on the Titanic or anything like that because... As we know, the Titanic still sank. So if the if you had time travelers go back, you wouldn't be able to fix it. I hate that though. I don't like the Novikov <laughs> self consistency principle because that's completely against what I feel like store like time travel like the the reason why you would want to time travel. Uh, I think that completely uh, you know destroys that notion or whatever. Um, in the Terminator, though, they do that pretty well. They have like a they have a loop basically because um, Kyle Reese goes back in time, and you wonder, well, why didn't Kyle Reese know that he was the father of John Connor? Well, the records were destroyed and all this other type of stuff. So you can believably, in a science fiction um, in a science fiction movie, believe that you know Kyle Reese went back in time. He always went back in time. In nineteen eighty four, he was always back in nineteen eighty four. Uh and and all the events of the Terminator happened. So are we are we uh good so far? Are you are you guys nervous or uh, No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm curious I'm I'll be curious as we move into these areas where we just talk about our own feelings about time travel like mm-hmm. you just have because um I'm obsessed with time travel. Uh, Chris knows I before my book, The Ables, I wrote a time travel novel. Uh, it's no good at all. So don't ask to see it. Um, and and one of the reasons it's no good is I, from the writing side of the story, I found it very hard mm-hmm. to close the loop yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not create a paradox. Um, and, and my personal theory on time travel is that it's impossible because, and I'm, I'm one of those people that feels like if it ever gets invented, somebody will come back and we will have evidence of it having been invented in the future, we would know already if it was possible. Right. Um, but when I watch a movie, I'm easily able to shut that off. And this is sort of like the sin hat, non-sin hat thing. Like, I can watch Back to the Future, I can watch the Terminator movies, and the time travel doesn't usually cause me any issues. Um, and then you have movies like 12 Monkeys that play the same kind of loop, that sort of the message of that movie is you can't change Mm-hmm. things through time travel uh, and, and it matches up really good with my beliefs and it's also a fantastic film but uh no i'm loving it already i'm loving this discussion and dissection okay well good because i don't want to get to a point where we're so confusing here that you know whatever but this is the thing that's always bothered me about the terminator movies the first terminator is completely fine for me like if you want to have a closed loop like all the things that happened in that movie like everything that happened in 1984 
happened. Everything that happened in the future happened. You can't change those things. It's it's at Terminator 2, which as a movie I love, by the way, where things get confusing for me as far as time travel. Okay, so in the first Terminator, they've stopped Skynet from happening. However, they left a, like a hand in the in the factory or whatever. So there's still evil people out there who want to make you know evil robot robots <laughs> and everything. Um, the problem is for me is that Skynet has to be created again from a new. So the new Skynet that gets created from, you know, if we, if we think about this, Miles Dyson makes the Terminators and everything and Skynet still goes online and they still, you know, whatever. That's, that's, that's the first time Skynet's ever been, ever been made then. It's not, it's never been made in any other time. Right? Right. It's never been made mm-hmm. any other time. How do they know to send more advanced Terminators back to the 1980 and that was 1992 or 1991 how do they know to have, that the first the first time they sent terminators back was a failure how do they know that yeah that's a good point this is where uh, this is this is why i have that and if you guys are you know i'm glad you said it's a good point yeah if you guys start getting confused and all this, I'm ready to scrap the time travel. No, thing. no, I, you're this making is, me think. This is why I, I always, I, I tried to describe this in that first ever podcast that we ever did. If Skynet's being built for the first time on this timeline, they have no idea their failures right. the first time. Right. So they have created the T1000 as an advancement, but they still created the T800 or whatever. For for whatever reason, right? They, I mean, I don't think they should have. If they knew somehow that they did this and it failed, then there's no reason to create those Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminators at right. all. Just right. make a bunch of T one thousands. Of course, we also can get into all the other little weird plot. Yeah, things. no, you, what you're saying makes sense because the the, the, the Arnold Terminator in T two can't be created. Right, he can't exist. Yeah, well, well, he can, but. He can be. It's kind of, but it would be the only one that they would know. I would think. I don't think they would. I don't think they would be like. I need to improve the T eight hundred because it failed last time. I think they would just continue to go in this cycle. But doesn't the movie itself even say that John, like, like rescued and reprogrammed Arnold's Terminator and T two? Yes. So yeah, what did they do with that whole fleet of T eight hundreds that never got sent back to kill John Connor? Right, but that loop in the original Terminator still exists. Right? Yeah, that that timeline still exists. Yes, it does because in T two you see the footage of yeah, yeah. the old Terminator. <laughs> you can still say that the events of T two still have a natural loop. Like it's it's still like because of the events of nineteen eighty four. This you know the stuff that happened in T two is a continuation of that, but. Yeah. Uh, to me, Skynet Skynet can't possibly know that they failed the first time. They have to make these. They make this new robot, and it's like, well, what I'm saying is that they could, if you have time travel, you could access that particular timeline from the first movie, right? They could go back and say, oh, well, they could go back and watch Schwarzenegger, uh, the, the original Terminator. No, because the records are destroyed. No, but if they go to that specific time. In in history, but they can't go back. They can't go back. They can't to, go back to the future. 
they can't go back and be like, oh, the Terminator failed, and then send somebody oh, back yeah, yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. them because that's yeah, yeah. one of the specific rules. Yeah, yeah. Because Kyle yeah, Reese yeah. is like, I can't go back. You know, he's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah, naked yeah. and bare shirted. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, uh, so, so. Yeah, yeah, sure. They have time travel, but they can't send anybody into the future to tell them, "Hey, this." Happened. They would have to complete that natural timeline in that altered history, go all the way to whenever it is in the future, and then uh, figure that out. But yeah. yeah, no, that's you, so, you can't flash forward. This is the paradox that it, that I believe Terminator sets up is that there's no way for Skynet to learn from their mistakes because they keep getting created anew right. every time. Right. Terminator Three is even worse because. Those the, they actually succeed in preventing Skynet, but there's still like people out there who are like learn, like trying to figure out. Well, let's get computers to do everything for us and everything. And so, like, it's just an, an like in, in, the rise of machines is basically the inevitability of everything. We can't stop it. You just want to try to save yourself from Judgment Day because you know it's coming. Um, and and, and it, Terminator Three actually doesn't really do much with the time travel at all because mm-hmm. it's, uh, but. Still, in the Terminator 3, they send back an even more advanced yep. robot, yep. meaning that they have they know about the first one and they know about the second one, but they can't possibly know about it because they're being created anew each time. Yeah. So so that's a paradox that they they always they always bring up in these Terminator movies, and I'm just like, no, you can't possibly know. I also wonder, and, and we're not even going to get into Genesis, which, I mean, <laughs> talk about some time travel paradoxes with... Not only the previous movies and everything like that, but they send back, you know, 1972 or whatever. And then everything that happens in 1984 still have like, seriously, you've changed history enough at 1972 that there's nothing going to be the same in 1984, especially not the same fucking cops running around and all this other type of stuff. That's not happening. Goddamn uh, time traveling robots. Yeah, no, yeah exactly. I, w- I, could, I could put that J.K. Simmons line on loop and just have it playing all day. It would be the best thing ever. Um, but... Uh, that's the thing about that, that those Terminator movies that are always that always intrigue me is that how does Skynet figure out that they've made their mistake? And also think about this: I always this is the same thing that I had with X Men: Days of Future Past. When you send people back in time, and once they change the littlest thing, I don't feel like your present time is going to be the same ever again. Like as soon as they sent Wolverine back. In time. Yeah. As soon as they sent it back, and as soon as he changed one thing, everything's going to be different. Yeah. And and I, I never understood that how, in parallel, stuff happening in the 1960s is, is you know, matters to what's par- happening right. in the whatever present time that they are. Like... Like, it feels like to me that whatever happens in the past should have already happened. Like, yeah. like it's the 60s. So, it, so as soon as they sent Wolverine back, it should have been immediate change for, so, so Skynet, like sending back Terminator should have like been immediately been like, they, I mean, they, I mean, I guess they just disappeared or something. I don't know what happens. You know, <laughs> nobody knows what really happens in time travel, but it's a fun thing to think about, right? Um, I just I never understood that about it. I mean, yeah, okay, sure. We're we're just making movies here. We're just <laughs> we're just telling the story. We're we're just forgetting we're forgetting about paradoxes and things like that. Understood completely. I can enjoy the movie without thinking about that. But when it's inextricably written into the movie's logic, like Looper, right, right. Where I mean, you have to play by those rules, and if you have a continuation of it uh, in a sequel or whatever, you then still have to play by those rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. 
Let's talk about the time travel implications of Star Trek for the voyage home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And and child me is very very into this movie. There's a lot to like. I I can as an adult look back and see why Trek fans maybe didn't like that episode of movies. <laughs> um, and I have no problem with slingshotting around the sun to time travel. I really don't. Yeah. The problem I have is that in order in, in a movie that is all about saving the whales, right? Literally, yep. somebody was hired to write a movie about saving whales. In the Star Trek universe. They're adorable. The way they do it is they go back and steal some whales! <laughs> from the dwindling endangered population. They just hurried it up. They just, all they did was make the extinction more rapid. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. I mean, we're robbing from our own past <laughs> so that the future can have some fucking whales. Yeah. I've never understood that. It always drove me bonkers. Yeah. Like, like the America they go back to should be pissed. They yeah. should be fucking pissed. Stop taking our whales. <laughs> oh, <the> whales. <laughs> anyway, I had to get that off my chest um yeah so uh, barrett do you have any contract well one of the most uh vilified in an otherwise great movie uh instances of of time travel even though it's very immediate is in the original superman (laughs) which always drove me crazy because and i actually went back and watched it uh, fairly recently because i was just because of that it just bothered me and uh you know i didn't know especially with man of steel and everything coming out i didn't I wanted to remind myself of whether Christopher Reeve was really good in that role or whether it was just by time and comparison and stuff like that. And it's really good. It's a really good movie. Uh, start to finish, great comic book movie, great Superman movie. But at the end, uh, if you if you don't already know, Lois Lane dies, and uh, Superman decides to reverse that by flying around the Earth a couple zillion times and reversing the course of the Earth to where it goes back to five minutes before or whatever, all to save Lois Lane. And... Which is completely ridiculous, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the crazy thing about it is there is some scientific theory that tries to that people try to shoehorn this movie into, and it's called the infinite cylinder uh, theory of time travel. Is is that time is a, a rapidly moving uh, cylinder, basically, and that's how you could you know if you get wrapped up in it, it's like the Earth's spinning around and you don't notice it's spinning, even though it's going at a million miles an hour, or however much it is. Uh, but you would notice if it would stop. And same thing with this infinite cylinder uh, theory is that time is always going at a certain pace, and we're just along for the ride. And apparently, to time travel, you have to sync up with this infinite cylinder. And then you could potentially, uh, if you get synced up to it, you could bend it to whatever rules that you wanted to or any space or, or any time that you would want to. And it's actually an interesting thing to think about. And that's how people justify scientifically uh, <laughs> Superman fucking flying around the Earth <laughs> a zillion times to save uh, his his girlfriend. And I find it very, very interesting, but uh, yeah, that doesn't they work. They should have just made Superman, one of Superman's powers the ability to go back in time. Yeah. Wow, yeah. That would have made yeah. more sense. This is like some Omega-13 shit from now. <laughs> right? like, it's just, just script some bullshit in here and hope no one ever went to school. Uh, yeah. I like uh, it when people play fast and loose with, with time travel, though. That I love is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And talk about playing fast and loose. Oh with my the god! Rules. I wrote those. Let's I wrote... remember to do this. Let's later. remember to do this. this later. Happens. Yes. <laughs> and what it reminds me of, if anybody ever reads Calvin and Hobbes, or brothers, another strip to to Chris earlier. If you read Calvin and Hobbes, uh, he gets you know in a in a cardboard box. He gets in a, and he says, "Oh, this is a time machine. We're going to go." And he has to do his homework. And he said, "We're going to go uh, three hours into the future." 
And by then, my homework would be done. And so he gets to three hours in the future, and Calvin, future Calvin is sitting in his bed and being like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he's like, didn't you do the homework? He's like, no, you were supposed to have done the homework. <laughs> so then they go back like three hours before the present Calvin and say, you got to do the homework. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm out here playing. You know, that kind of thing. So they end up ganging up on past Calvin and all this stuff. And that's exactly what ben, Bill and Ted's is like, yeah, man, let's totally remember to do this. <laughs> Yeah, I actually wrote down uh, as 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 possibilities of if we you know some somewhat couldn't talk about this, but Bill and Ted and then the Hot Tub Time Machine yeah. both like you know they they take the very you know it's the simplistic. If I'll talk about Back to the Future uh, here um, because I I frequently cite this as my favorite movie yeah. of all time. Um, Back to the Future. Uh, the, you know, I, nothing about that movie really bothers me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, I mean, it's just great. Um, the, the time travel though, when you start thinking about it and everything, he affects so many lives mm-hmm. when he's in 1955 mm-hmm. and, and, the, that all the changes. I mean, they make it where, like, well, as long as you uh, get your parents back together, everything's the same. <laughs> um, the he he affects so many different things that when he gets back to 1985, there should be more than just a Lone Pine Mall change. That's the only thing that that really changes outside of his his family life and the fact that he, he saves Doc or whatever. But but like but like families should be completely changed and mm-hmm. the city itself should be changed and all that. And I never understood also if, you know, when he's up on the stage and he's hoping his parents kiss and all this other type of stuff, we did this in the Sims video, is that why he even he even starts fading while he's on the stage. Because if you know what happens, you know that they kiss anyway. They kiss at the exact same time they did back in the original timeline mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, I know it's just to put in some dr- dramatic tension and it's a, it's a good scene and all this other type of stuff, but, uh, there's no reason him, for him to be fading at all if we know for a fact that they kiss later. Right. So, you know, it, 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 but that's the main thing about Back to the Future that's, bo- you know, it bothers quote unquote me, you know. You know what's crazy about that scene is that he's fading away, he's disappearing into existence. But he's so committed to being a part of this band that he continues to play guitar. Yeah, he's still strumming. Even though he plays it badly. But he's still strumming. He's still trying to get it out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And there's and but but nobody notices his fading either. Like like he's like everybody's everybody's so like They're they're so like attuned to what they're doing. Like the band is like, oh, I'm playing my instruments. I don't care about that guy down there. You know, everybody's on the dance floor. They're not looking at they're not looking at Marty. They're all drunk. Yeah, they're all drunk. <laughs> Absolutely, I could be wrong, but that guy seems to be fading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are. I think there are two kinds of movies with time travel. One, the, the kind that it's just looking for a conceit to get us into an interesting situation, mm. and then the kind that is actually kind of wants to explore as a serious topic, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one I saw recently that goes that latter route, did you ever see The Jacket with Keira yes. Knightley and yes. Adrian Brody? Mm-hmm. No, I know what you're talking about. It's weird. It's definitely weird. Um, he's in this mental institution, and the treatments they give him involve putting him in this big drawer. It's like a coroner's drawer. Mm-hmm. And whenever he goes in there, he travels to the future. And he meets Keira Knightley... And they have a conversation, and then they pull him out of the box. He, di- he disappears, and he's back in, in the past in this mental hospital. And that just basically keeps happening um, here and there. And 
It's 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 really interesting. It's not the kind of movie I would say you definitely need to watch this. This is mm-hmm. great. Um, but it was an interesting take on time travel in that it both dismisses it. They put him in a drawer. He time travels, but takes it super seriously related to the plot. Like the, the movie's all about time travel, even though their device for time travel was you know kind of a red herring or omega thirteen. <laughs> Does he hop like in different timelines of of him his own life? No, he's he's either in the past in the treatment facility or in this one specific time in the future where he keeps running into Kira Knightley. And eventually he tells her, I'm in a drawer right now uh-huh. in the past. And eventually she believes him and starts trying to help him find answers. Well, yeah, no, that sounds like uh, the thing that always comes up to me with time travel. I know we're t- talking about movies. It was made into a movie. It was Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt, mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut. And this kind of sounds like it where... The protagonist, Billy Pilgrim, gets, quote, unstuck in time. And he, in his own timeline, in his own life, he can visit different times. And it's completely without his uh, his consent or anything. He just, like, finds himself in another situation in his own life. And he's like, ah, I guess I'm here now. Huh. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm back in Dresden, about to be firebombed, but... Uh, you know, all right, so it goes is the, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so basically the, the theory of that book, which has actually persisted and maybe kind of what you're talking about, is that the, the timeline is a series of fixed events. And you could potentially um, travel to them at different points, but you can't affect anything. Even if you behave a little bit differently, uh, the timeline is the timeline mm-hmm. for you. And uh, you can visit wherever you want to if you have this ability, um, but it doesn't affect anything. Well, and another, another time that the, the Novikov self-consistency principle came up was when we did our Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban video. And mm-hmm. they had the time turner in there. Um, that. My my problem with the time turner, besides the fact that it never shows up again, and and you know J.K. Rowling found a way to like uh, blow it up in one of the books, <laughs> yeah. um, is that is that the way it works? I don't feel like really totally fits this uh, self consistency principle mm. because Hermione is using it to take more classes than normal in a semester. So which but, is about the dumbest reason yeah, ever yeah. to give someone a time traveling <laughs> oh, device. Oh, absolutely. There's only one yeah. in as the long, world. As long as you're good, you can use this. Um <laughs> why not send Harry back to save his fucking parents? Nope. <laughs> Don't know no, I'm going to let Hermione get better grades. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the the thing is is that she's given it so that she can take one class and then use it to go back an hour and be at another class. I I have thought about this more than I should ever think about. <laughs> but the way it goes is that I feel like you can form a paradox with the time turner. I don't like yeah, okay, yeah, sure. She successfully went to all these classes without running into herself and everything. But you're actually you're actually carving out a piece of time where like, you know, for an hour you're in in a class if if you go back in time and you decide to walk in on a cl- you, and you yeah 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 I I feel like that's gonna that's gonna cause the paradox mm-hmm. or whatever and so and and, and the thing with that self consistency principle is that like no ma- like no matter what if it didn't happen it you you can't make it happen mm-hmm. and so on and so forth but I feel like under those circumstances. You can take a class for an hour and like not meet yourself, but then you're a completely different person the next time you're an hour older or whatever. You go back, you could sit there and go, I'd like to meet myself. 
and just go, you could. Well, who's going to stop you? Yeah. But the, I guess, an, you know, an apologist would say, well, you didn't walk in on yourself, so therefore it didn't happen. You know, but you've experienced that. That one hour doesn't make any, to me, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, if you were there for one hour and, it, and something weird didn't happen, you have the ability to change it, I believe, in the next hour. Now, some, a lot of people are going to say, no, 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 it still it still works. But I've thought over this over and over again. Shouldn't, probably shouldn't have. Probably spent way more time than I ever should have. How old is she then? Because I think about uh, how old Bill Murray is in Groundhog Day. Because mm-hmm. somebody did the math. Did you, you see this? Oh. Where there, he's oh, yeah, 10,000 yeah. years yeah. old or something like that. Really? Yeah. Like, I, I, I always thought that... Uh, one the one of the, the facts about that movie is that he experiences the amount of days that is equivalent to the six weeks that you wait for spring to start. That's oh really? That's you know the the whole Groundhog Day thing, six more weeks of winter and uh-huh. all that. Like he experiences that many days. But I mean, if there's some other, th- I'm I'm open to the, the other. Theory is based on the amount of skills that he learned, uh, the amount of time it would take to oh. to get these. Uh, Get these steps down and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, playing ability. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and to be able to 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 know what was going on at each section of the town that he's in. You know, whether the cat's falling, uh, or you know, the the homeless guy dying, or that kind of thing, or or uh, uh, running into Ned Ryerson, or that kind of thing. <laughs> Setting up this whole event uh, with the the bachelor um, uh, auction at the end and all that stuff. It, apparently, it takes a lot longer than oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of so, so that's more of a what it should have taken yeah, more than so. what yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. takes place. Yeah. Okay, that's what you're saying. Um, another one you can't learn to play piano that well in six weeks. No, no, but his no, no, his his dad was a piano mover. So, <laughs> um, but um, but uh, another one that I I, I like to. I like to add on this is uh, the movie Frequency, where uh, Jim Caviezel ha- finds the radio or whatever and is able to, you know, by, uh, you know, radio magic, able to talk to his dad in the 1960s. And, um, and like, it does this thing that I, I like. I like this. This is somewhat different from what you see. Like, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Wrinkle in Time series mm-hmm. um, where something happens in the past and it changes and everybody else's memories change with it too. Like that's somewhat implied in back to the future um, or whatever. But like in frequency, once he makes that huge, like there's that huge change where like he saves his mom and all that. Um, he's, he's at a, like a diner and Andre Brower and all them. He's like, do you remember doing this and that? And, and, and it was something, it was a new memory that just popped into his head that he, he, you know, mm. and, uh, and, and, and they're like, oh yeah, everybody remembers that. They don't have any idea that he's talking through, you know, ghost radio or whatever. Um, but, uh, but like, uh, but he, Caviezel, because he's doing this radio thing, has two memories. He remembers the old timeline and he remembers the new timeline as well, hmm. which is a, an, an interesting, I think that's an interesting thing. It also happens in Ringling Time because they ask, you know, like, do you remember this? And like, oh yeah, it's always been that way or whatever. And mm. and and they're like, hmm, interesting, you know. Um, I was a big Quantum Leap fan. Yeah, I know it's not a movie, but um, <laughs> towards the end of the series, they they started sending him back to uh, circumstances or events that were real. Like for most of the shows, Ron, he was going back into fictional people. Um, and I'll never forget the one about JFK. Oh where yeah, he tries to prevent JFK's assassination 
um, and ends up being the guard that Jackie crawls to on the back of the uh-huh. car. And he, he gets back and he tells Sam, I didn't, I didn't do it, I didn't save him. And Sam's like, what are you talking about? In the original timeline, Jackie was killed too. Uh, yeah. So that's a fun way to play with time travel, I think, where <laughs> yeah. you, like, I was not expecting that yeah, little cherry on top to yeah. be like, oh, he did change something, but I understood that. Anyway. I will never forget to the episode just before that JFK episode, because, you know, he always leaps into his next episode at the end of every right. episode. And I remember he, he's like he's standing around looking he's got a gun in his hand he's like what is this and, uh-huh. they, and they, they take the picture and there's that and then it just ends and you're like oh my god he's Lee Harvey Oswald yeah that was a great show if they're gonna remake everything I mean remake that shit yeah absolutely I'd watch the hell out of it Q&A I think we should do some Q&A yeah let's do it alright pretty sweaty Q&A yeah question question I got something to say I am listening. All right, so we're doing questions Q and A. Yeah. Um, let's talk about our favorite Mel Gibbs. Mel Gibson. Let's <laughs> talk about our about favorite Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson films. No, somebody <laughs> asked. Somebody asked what our favorite Mel Brooks films were. Ah, they Mel Brooks. Asked Mel for Brooks. Our top three. But if we each give one, that will represent a top three. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going because I think you guys have both seen more Mel Brooks stuff than me. I have me. seen quite a bit. I'm going Blazing Saddles. Nice. Yeah. Because it is the one that yeah, you can't go wrong with Blazing Saddles. First oh, one I saw true. of his. Uh, still to this day makes me laugh more than any of his other movies. Yeah. And that movie is, especially if you think about when it came out, how freaking bold some of those oh, jokes yeah. are. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> that, doubt. Uh, like, would even shock Dave Chappelle, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In that era. Uh, it's hilarious. Of course, the Where All the White Women At is probably the most famous one. <laughs> um, we but, don't need um, no stinking badges. <laughs> yeah. The whole movie's great. I love it. That's my pick. Somebody else. That's a good one. I may be stealing Chris's on this, but one of my most watched movies as a kid was Spaceballs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spaceballs. And Spaceballs not only parodied uh, Star Wars and all of the sci-fi epics that that came in the late 70s, early 80s, but it predicted the media conglomeration uh, and, and the outsourcing of all that stuff uh, very boldly. They literally like take them through and be like, Spaceballs! The action figure, Spaceballs, the uh, the lunchbox, Spaceballs, the flamethrower, and he yeah. shoots off this flamethrower, and he's like, kids love it. Yeah. It was uh, Mel Brooks as, as Yogurt, uh, which was the Yoda character, Bill Pullman, and my favorite Bill Pullman role, uh, and and really, Z- Daphne Z- Zuniga. Yeah, Daphne Zuniga. Um, John uh, Candy with a great performance. Joan Rivers is the C-3PO bot. Mm-hmm. And it's just hilarious. It's one of those Rick Moranis' dark helmet. <laughs> it's so sexually just charged and, and, you know, was marketed to kids and everything. And it's hilarious. It's got that layering effect where each joke, like, hits you differently every time that you view it. So it's really good. It was the first Mel Brooks movie that I ever saw. I saw it in theaters. and And even though... I was not familiar with Alien at the time. <laughs> yeah. It has a great Alien parody yeah. with John Hurt yes. doing re- yes. redoing the role and uh and like but it made me laugh not because again. he did the WB frog thing. The little uh, yeah. lizard that comes that comes out does the WB frog. I mean I, I was already a huge fan of Airplane and all that so I just that <laughs> I I went right to it. But uh you know what? I'm going to say Young Frankenstein. Yes. Uh which also came out the same year as Blazing wow. Saddles. Wow. How do you possibly do those <laughs> awesome. both of those movies in one year? 
Uh, Gene Wilder is just so funny in that he movie. Is, he is. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, oh my God, Cloris Leachman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, that's the thing that Mel Brooks would, would do is mm. he would, he would put some really strong, uh, female cast together. You know, like you, you don't really, you know, you never, you, something happened. The boys club happened in the eighties with, mm-hmm. the with all the slumber parties and the beach parties and all this other stuff with comedy in the eighties. But like back in, uh, 1974, young Frankenstein's got, it's got Madeline Kahn. Yeah. It's got Terry Gar. It's got Cloris Leachman. They're all unique and fantastic in yeah. that movie. Um, and then, uh, yeah, um, just that's, I don't know. That's just one of those that I can pop in at any time. It's just, yeah, a, a it's a, it's really good. Uh, we, uh, we neglected the producers. The producers would be up there, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, and I think, I'll, I think we all have a soft spot for Robin Hood men in tights. As yes. Well. Yeah. Um, uh, but after that, Mel Brooks starts and there's, I mean, history of the world's got its moments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then you, you know, high anxiety, which is sort of the Hitchcock spoof, isn't as which is 1977, 1977. Yeah. yeah. Um, isn't, isn't, like you know, like one of his best or anything, mm. but but he's got good five solid hitters oh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Another Sorry. question is yeah. asking for our favorite OMG moments in movies. Hmm. Um, and it's funny that the the very first thing we're just going to keep up a trend of answering with Breaking Bad instead of movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I was talking on Twitter with somebody the other day about Breaking Bad and they were talking about. Uh, the moment that shocked them the most and I could not believe it wasn't the same as mine um, but when uh, Walter stands over Jesse's girlfriend and watches her die oh. and doesn't help I literally put my hand over my mouth and like I was gasping mm-hmm. I was yeah. so shocked mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it's a combination of uh, both how really evil what he's doing is and how easily he could save her Um but I just, oh man, that that is the first thing that sprung to mind. I'm sure I will think of a movie OMG moment here in a minute. But that, that more than any movie even, that's the biggest shocking moment I think I've ever seen. Mm. Wow. Yeah, my uh, weirdest one was mostly because of how it was marketed and how, what the buzz was before I watched it. It was Pulp Fiction. And all you heard about and all you saw in the trailers and everything was Travolta. Uh, this is a very Travolta-centric podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. But of him dancing and of everything. And halfway through the movie, he gets fucking killed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching with the... I was like, what? The, what? Hold on. Hold on. That's not... And, uh, you know, obviously you play with the timeline and everything. But, uh, yeah, that, that that was crazy. I was like, what? Yeah. Well, yeah. not to steal Chris's turn, but along the same lines, when Executive Decision came out... Oh, yeah. No one was expecting Seagal <laughs> to bite it in the first ten yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... Steven Seagal's in that movie. No, I I understand. The only reason why I gave the uh, RCA dog uh, like, like what look was that I thought in the trailer very specifically. I mean, maybe people didn't think that he was going to die, but it was at the end of the trailer for Executive Decision that where he's like, "You're never going to make it. You are," and you see Seagal like pull. You know, he. But you don't think that's the first ten minutes of the movie? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Seagal's being marketed as one of the stars right up there with Kurt Russell, yeah, yeah, and he's just. I remember Josh and I were just like, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna go pretty basic on this. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I guess I'll cheat a little bit and have two movies on this, but. It, even though Kevin Spacey doesn't play the same character in Usual Suspects and Seven, mm. 
Uh, first off, there there's an you know OMG moment that he's the guy mm-hmm. behind it. Usual suspects. Like now, you if you, if that movie came out today, you'd probably guess it within the first ten minutes. But yeah. back in 1995, I I did not, and no. I I was just content that Gabriel Byrne was the guy. And when they did that reveal, I was like, yeah, I knew it. Oh, and it gave me chills. And then like, oh, and then like they have another whammy for you Amazing. and everything. And it's such a great ending. But then Seven came out like a couple of months after that, and and he, yeah, Spacey's not playing the same person, but the fact that he's John Doe, yeah. sort of a continuation yeah. of his like, like you know, bad character type of thing. So like, you don't know it's Spacey. I mean, I've heard some people say that on the, the stairway scene where he takes the pictures uh-huh. and he's like, he's like, hey man, I'm a member of the press. You have to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, that's Spacey. But I think that's mainly because Spacey had become such a a popular actor at that point that if you saw seven in retrospect, then you would know that that's Kevin Spacey on the stairway in the beginning, that middle scene that happens in there. But, um, but like when he shows up at the police station and he's all bloody and he's like, you've been looking for me. And I'm like, Oh, it's Kevin Spacey. (laughs) He was just in the usual suspects two months ago. He was awesome. Um, uh, that that was like a combined OMG moment. Oh for yeah, me. no kidding. And but just as an anecdote, I saw on Reddit a couple of days ago, somebody posted a video. Apparently, there's this group of friends, and one of them hates Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. and the rest of them keep tricking him into watching movies he doesn't realize Kevin Spacey is in. <laughs> and the video clip was that scene in Seven. Mm-hmm. And when the camera cuts and it shows Kevin Spacey, one of the guys gets up off the couch and goes, Motherfucker! Motherfucker! <laughs> and <starts> screaming. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Because if you, I mean, if you... If you hate Kevin Spacey, you wouldn't expect him to show up in that I, I wonder what happened in that guy's life to hate Kevin Spacey. Of course, we have a friend uh, that hates Amy Adams for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> like, because she was in, she, he hated her in Enchanted or whatever. I don't know. Like, he doesn't like Amy Adams ever for whatever reason. Uh, but what happened in Kevin, what happened with the Kevin Spacey thing? Did he see, like, pay it forward or something? <laughs> like, all right, I hate this guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. People make weird choices on performers they just decide to yep. hate for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and that's one of them. Do we have any other OMG moments? We want to talk about this is a throwaway but one of the things that got me was when uh saddam hussein started fucking satan in the ass <laughs> yeah. in, in south park yeah oh my exactly that was one of those things like I, I actually i remember watching this movie before it came out and i was sitting there in the theater and i was like can we show this can we show this movie like this is this is just art yeah and you know the but, sound is so very specific. Oh, I know. It's got that squishy noise. It's just crazy. <laughs> Have you guys seen a movie called The Ruins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. With Jenna Malone. Huh? There's a moment in there that is OMG for me early on when they first get to the creepy ruins and the aboriginals come out and have like spears and mm-hmm. they're threatening them at them. And basically it cuts to the, the indigenous people's point of view and you see the college kids standing there. And one of them just gets an arrow right in his chest. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa! And before I could even recover from that, they blow half his head off. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, for the next ten minutes are chaos for the, these characters. But um, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, and it's weird because the movie is ultimately about a killer vine. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But this violent burst so early in the movie, it was so graphic on screen, I just did shock. Well, and that reminds me of that exact same thing in Glory. When you first watch Glory and the guy's like, hey, this way, and his head just explodes on the screen or whatever. I I was 12 when I saw that. I was, like, not prepared. No. Not prepared for that. Well, speaking of when you were 12, let's move into our our next question. Um, I'll just warn both of you. And the listeners, the, mm. the, the question alone creates danger for us to get into some pervy talk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they want to know about our our early celebrity crushes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is an interesting question to ask because we're old. So <laughs> our crushes are going to be people who are like 40 now. Right. And all the listeners are going to be like... She's old. She's a mom. <laughs> Demi Moore, what are you talking about? Hey, listen, there was a time when Demi Moore... I'm not going to finish that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> but... We know where you were going. I hope you do. I'll tell you when we turn the mic off. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about some of our young, early celebrity crushes. And I'll throw one out that um, we've talked about before. Is from the music video for uh, Cradle of Love. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I don't even know that girl's name. No. <laughs> but I loved her. Oh. A celebrity crush. Didn't, didn't uh, we all just become men when we saw the Billy Idol? Whether we were ready to or not. Right. That like, we video... just, just got ushered into puberty. Yes. <laughs> puberty is now Thanks, here. Billy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Billy Billy Idol did that to us. Yeah. His, his video. Yes. Oh, uh, and that girl. Like, just, just you know. For no reason, dancing sexually in that stranger's stranger's apartment. house. Yeah, um, uh, Barrett. It sounds uh, well. I guess it doesn't sound creepy because she's my age at this point. Uh, but it was Christina Ricci? Oh yeah, yeah, man. And it started with the Adams Family values and everything. We were literally, I think, right at the same age. And then I watched whatever she was in, whether it was like Casper, like mm-hmm. that darn cat, mm-hmm. or now uh, and then. Now and then, uh, <laughs> then moved on to indie stuff like Buffalo '66 Black and Snake the opposite. Moan. Yeah. Oh, Black Snake Moan, man! That, yeah. that was. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a moment right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a Black Snake. You were moan. already in puberty, but you were ushered <laughs> exactly. further into. And and she, oh my God, she's just she was so beautiful to me and so unique looking, uh, and continued to be. And um, I still have a crush on her, so she would be my current one too. But uh, no, she was she was fantastic. She was my first. This is super easy. Uh, Danica McKellar, Winnie Cooper. Yes. Oh, nice. Um, no doubt about it. They just I, I I don't know. I was in love with her just like Kevin Arnold. And like when and ju- and when they had their first kiss, I remember celebrating like like yeah i like ran through the house like he kissed her you know and all that because that's what i'd want to do you know um i think i mean i'm i'm not alone in that that was that was a a lot of people's like first crush was winnie cooper and everything and danica mckellar when you find out later that she's this math genius Mm -hmm. and all that like even better (laughs) you know um uh, so so that's easy and then i i I guess if i were to get to in there it would be jennifer connelly after career opportunities oh nice yeah. um because you know that was another one that just early on because i saw her in career opportunities and i saw her in the rocketeer in that like mm-hmm. 13 14 year old range or whatever jennifer Connolly was huge for me. man i had my friends will kill me if i don't mention it i had a very long running crush on claire danes mm-hmm. yeah um, from my so-called life it well i was started? she's a couple years younger than me uh-huh. 
I'm pretty sure that show was on when I was in high school, and it's okay that I had a crush on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But the, I'm talking more about like the Mod Squad era. When oh yeah, yeah. She you know cut her hair and made it blonde, and um, I think she's a fantastic actress. I really do. But um, I just for about five, ten years there, I would, I'd watch anything she did twice, yeah. and my friends would all joke about like my crush on her. It was pretty open. Well, and I remember like the the movie Shop Girl was one that I, that I remember going, yeah, you know what, Claire Danes is, you know, she's really cute. Like she's got sort of, you know, she's grown out of that my so called life. She was really, you know, really cute in that too, but like. Uh, Shop Girl was like one of her first like real adult type roles mm-hmm. and, and everything, and I and that's where I started really liking her and everything. Steve Martin movie, Steve yeah. Martin movie, yeah. and Jason Schwartzman, yeah, yeah, which I, has that uh, great line: "You've just had a date with Jeremy." That's <laughs> <laughs> how you sign off every date. Well, that's our sin cast. Hopefully, we didn't end up too pervy. I don't think we did. I don't think no, we did. We did. Anyway, that's our syncast for this week. Uh, signing off, this is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. I can touch you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, that is interesting. Let's fuck. Saddam, no, I'm trying to have a nice conversation with you. I said him. Oh. We're not gonna make it. You are. I watched Jane die. Hey, boys. Look what I got here. Hey, where are the white women at?